0: Let's dive into God's word. Should we do that? All right, get your Bible out. Open it up with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, is where we're going to be today. And by the way, while you're turning there, just remind you man, that night of worship is tonight. Six o'clock is going to be a great time. So, hope that you can join us uh, tonight at six o'clock for that. We are in our series uh, on David, King David. And of course, today we 're talking about a very familiar story, all right an iconic story. one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And anybody here heard that story before? Uh, all right, yeah, yeah, pretty much most of us have heard that story before, and our culture loves this story, right David and Goliath, right because we hear about it in lots of different ways, for example, like in sports. Particularly coming up to the basketball tournament, you're going to hear some little team out of nowhere facing some blue blood championship team. They're going to say it's a David and Goliath uh, story. Sometimes we hear about in business where you have a little business going up against a big corporation, David and Goliath. Uh, my favorite is Rocky Four. That's what I think of when I think of David and Goliath, right? Uh, the little guy fighting the big guy, Drago and um, you know, it's all about, you know, cheer for the underdog. It's all about the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, it's, it's all about beating the odds. Uh, but, but there's more uh, to this story. There's more to the story than that. In fact, you may have actually missed the actual point of this story. So I want you to lean in this morning and let's unpack it together to see if you can discover what's the real meaning of this story. All right. so. We're going to cover chapter 17. It's a long chapter. There's a lot of verses in this chapter. So I want you to think of it kind of like a, a Netflix series, okay? you got different episodes in it, all right? So we're going to look at the three different episodes in this story. The first one is Israel's Dilemma, and then the second episode is going to be David's Courage, and then the last episode is the big, the big climax of the story, God's battle. Okay? So let's look at uh, that first section, Israel, Israel's Dilemma. And we're going to start in, in uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Okay? And we're going to go through verse 11. All right? This is the word of God. Amen? The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sukkot in Judah and camped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephesdaimim. And Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah uh, when they lined up for battle formation to face the Philistines. And the Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites standing on the other hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. And wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed about 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin he slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. And he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, why do you come out and line up in battle formation, he asked them. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in the fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us then the philistine said i defy the ranks of israel today send me a man so we can fight each other and when saul and all israel heard these words from the philistine they lost their courage and were terrified all right so this story actually takes place in a in the valley of elah valley of elah is still there today. In fact, if you take a tour of Israel, you can go to that valley. I've been there a couple of times. I actually went down into the creek that's still there and gathered up a couple of stones out of the creek like, like David did uh, at that time. But this was a historical location, an historical event. Uh, So who is there? Well, you have the Philistines. The Philistines were there. The Philistines were a seafaring people that migrated most likely from the island of Crete into the modern-day territory of Israel, settled along the coastal lands around Gath and Gaza and uh, Ashdod. Uh, These people date all the way back to 2000 BC in the land. So they've been there a very, very long time. In fact, Abraham uh, even mentions the Philistines at one point. And they were kind of the mortal enemies of the Israelites. So you have them on one side of the valley... And then you have the Israelites, of course, on the opposite side of the valley under the leadership of King Saul, who I talked about some last week. Okay, And so between them is a a level spot. It's not a massive area, but a a level area with a creek running through the middle of it. And so out came into that level space in between the two armies, verse 4, the champion named Goliath. Okay, now we've heard a lot about Goliath, right? Over the years, uh, and he's a pretty impressive fellow, uh, Goliath. Uh, he's number one. He's huge, right? Uh, he's he's a big guy. He, old, oldest manuscripts say he's six cubits. And a span. So a a cubit was roughly the measure from the end of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. So it was about 18 uh, inches. And then a span would be the the span of your hand. And so that roughly estimates into about 9 feet 9 inches. right. I guess you could probably say that the NBA would be quite interested in this guy. All they have to do is to like stand under the bucket and he wouldn't even have to jump. He could just, you know, drop it in just like that. I remember watching a one time an NBA game and that's back when Yao Ming was playing. Remember that? And I mean, I got about. I got about six or eight feet away from him and just kept looking up. I kept looking up, and he was like seven and a half feet. Uh, so, so he's a runt compared to uh, compared to Goliath, right? So he was certainly a big guy, but it also talks about his armor, what he looks like, how prepared he is for battle. And, of course, you see he's got a bronze helmet. He's got bronze body armor that were probably more interlocked like fish scales uh, that covered all of his arms, his torso down uh, probably to his knees. Um, and and he, uh, he had a, uh, a massive spear. Uh, the head of the spear was about 15 to 20 pounds, uh, certainly heavy enough to pierce any kind of armor or shield that you might put up. Uh, against it. This guy was a formidable uh, opponent. He was a champion. Uh, he was a warrior. He was an infantryman. He was used to hand to hand combat. And, and some people ask, well, why was he so big? And of course, we don't really know exactly why, but we have a little bit of a hint. Joshua chapter 11, verse 21. Uh, As Joshua was going in to settle the land, he said that there were some people that were abnormally large. Remember the, the first time the spies went in and said, they're like giants. We're like grasshoppers in front of them. These particular people were called the Anakim. The Anakim. And they actually settled in Gath and Gaza and Ashdod, which are the very areas Uh, where the Philistines lived and, of course, the very place where Goliath was from. And so what was he saying as he came out and stood in this uh, valley? What was he saying to them? Look at verse 10. Send me a man. Send me a man. I'm trying to imagine what that would be like, right? Big bellowing voice. Send me a man, you know. Maybe maybe like a Scottish accent. Send me a man, I say, you know. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Just scratch that. Let's edit that one out. You know. um, but what he was asking for is what, they, what is called single combat. Single combat. It's also referred to as champion warfare. And it was very common in ancient times where a representative from the army would come out and each one would fight. And whoever won uh, then dominated the other army completely. And if you're wondering if this has happened any other time, actually it has. Uh, In ancient times, we have uh, historical records dating back to ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, using single combat uh, strategies. We see it also later on in the Middle Ages in England and Russia as well. So this was a common practice to have two men fighting to the death, with the rest of the nation hanging in the balance, so that's really what Goliath was calling for: single combat, fight to the death. The the stakes could not have been higher. And so, what was the response uh, to Saul and the Israelites when he's saying, "Send me a man"? You know what? What are they doing? Well, uh, look at verse eleven. It said Saul and the Israel lost their courage and were terrified. They were terrified. Now, this is, a, this is a continual problem with Saul. Uh, this is one of, the, one of the issues that continually comes up with him. Saul was a king. Uh, he was a head taller than everybody else, so he was the tallest guy. He was the most formidable uh, warrior that they had. Uh, Saul was a king. He was the man, so he, he says, send me a man. It should have been Saul walking out there, but Saul was indecisive. Saul was anxious, Saul was fearful. You see this happen multiple times where Saul's afraid of the people, he's afraid of the circumstance and that fear just paralyzed him. He was unable to make a decision, he was unable to move forward because he was overcome with fear. You don't see Saul praying You don't see Saul, uh, like King Hezekiah, you know, praying, seeking God. You don't see him seeking a prophet. You don't see him asking for wise counsel. You don't see him searching the scripture. You don't see any of that. You just see him wringing his hands, paralyzed by his own fear. You know, fear can do that. Fear can do that to us. It can do that to you. It can paralyze you. It can shrink you. In fact, the truth is that With a crowd this size, there are probably several of you right now that are dealing with a very fearful situation. Uh, You're afraid of the circumstance that is about to unfold. You're afraid of having that conversation that you need to have because you're afraid you're gonna make it worse. You're afraid of what's gonna happen to your kid. You're afraid of what's gonna happen to you physically. You're afraid about your business. You're afraid of many things. And if you're facing Something that's fearful today, I just want to remind you of a great verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. In fact, let's just read this out loud. Let's put that verse back up there on the screen. Let's just read this out loud together, just loud enough so that your neighbor can hear you. Here we go. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, love. And sound judgment. In other words, what God gives you is not fear. The fear that you're experiencing is not from God. But what God does give you is power and his love and godly wisdom and sound judgment to make decisions that are according to his will and his plan. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Paul, uh, Saul was overcome with fear and this was really Israel's dilemma they're frozen they're in a standoff and they're unable to move forward they're helpless to save themselves and that leads us to the second episode in this story and that is David's courage want you look at it with me beginning in verse 17 then one day Jesse who told his son David had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese for the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had charged him. And he arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. And when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. And while they were speaking with him, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. You might want to underline that part. David heard it. And when all the Israelites saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Previously an Israelite man had declared, did you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich. And will give him his daughter, and the father, and the father, uh, the man's father is exempt from paying taxes in Israel, verse 26. And David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What does what will be done for the man who kills a Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the troop told him about the offer, including uh, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. All right, so you get the picture. Here's David, and he's keeping the sheep. And he said, his daddy says, go take some food to your brothers, find out how they're doing. And so he goes out there. And as he goes out there, he finds everyone lined up for battle. He's talking to his brothers, and then out comes Goliath. Give me a man, right? That he's saying his thing like he usually does. So, and it seems to imply this has been happening day after day after day after day. This Goliath defying God, defying the armies, uh, striking fear in their hearts. They're paralyzed. They can't move forward. But it says David heard it. The other people have heard it too, but David heard it differently. And, and I just, I just love uh, David's response, verse 26. You know, who is this clown? You know, who is this guy that comes out here defying the armies of the living God? I mean, David is like blown away that nobody is taking care of this. What is happening? What is wrong with you guys? Somebody take him out, right? He, David is just overwhelmed. You might call it youthful idealism. I just think it's faith in God, right? He just, he's just shocked. Uh, that no one has stepped forward uh, later on, and we're not going to read it, but David's brothers are like, "Hey, get out of here, man! Get it, get get out of here! You know, you go back to your little sheep. All right, this is our time to shine. I, I know what you want to do. You want to find out what's going on. Well, this is our moment. You get out of here." But David doesn't leave. He's like, well, "What did I say? You know, I'm just wondering what's going on here." And then he gets word that there's actually a a bounty right on Goliath. You know, man, if you no taxes for your dad, uh, you get a lot of money. You get to marry the king's daughter, and he's like, "Whoa, man, this is a pretty good deal, right?" But David is incensed that no one is doing anything, and he's asking questions, and eventually this gets down to Saul. Saul starts hearing a buzz that there's somebody interested in taking on Goliath, and so David is brought to him. And look at verse 32. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, you got to get the picture. David's a little guy, right? He's young. He's not, a, he's not a warrior. He's never been in battle. He's like, don't worry about this, king. I'll take care of this for you, all right? No worries. I'll drop him, and then we'll move on with business, right? And, and, and Saul is like, David, you, can't, you know, I appreciate your zeal, but, man, you can't do that. This guy's huge. This guy's a, a veteran warrior. Look at how he's outfitted. There's no way. You're, you're not even, you don't even have any armor on. You've never been in battle before. There's no way that you can take him out. And David goes on to tell him, he said, you know what? I'm not afraid. And here's why. Because, King, one time I was out with my flocks and a bear came out of the woods. And I knocked that bear out. And I killed him with my bare hands. Another time, a lion came out to kill my sheep. And I killed the lion with my bare hands. And the same God who delivered me from the bear and the lion is going to deliver me from this punk over here. All right? That's what's going to happen. Of course, Saul tries to put his armor on him. It's too big. It's too cumbersome. doesn't fit him. He said, I don't need I can't. I can't fight like this. He sheds all of it off. You know, it's, uh, it's really a great contrast, isn't it? Here is Saul. And he's the one in charge. He's the, he's the leader. He's the tall one. He's the experienced warrior. He's battle-tested. And here he is over here shrinking back in fear. And then you have young David, he's insignificant, he's young, he's unchallenged, untrained, and yet he is filled with courage. I wonder which one are you? Are you shrinking back in fear? Are you filled with courage? Sometimes I think, uh, sometimes the older we get, We should be filled with courage, right? Because we banked enough experiences to grow in our faith and to trust God. It should be the older ones that are walking forward in faith because we've seen God move. But sometimes we actually grow more fearful. We have more to lose, more at risk. We have a reputation to uphold. David had great courage. Where does courage like this come from? When I think of David... Uh, in this courage that he exhibited, I think of Joshua. Joshua chapter one, God said this, haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't you love that verse? Hey, hey, that's a good verse for you to put on your mirror this week. Hey, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Boy, in my early years in ministry, that was like my favorite verse. I was quoting that over and over because I was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm so afraid to mess up. And God was like, no, Craig, have I not told you, you be strong and courageous. So where does that courage come from? What well, came from where David got it. David won some smaller battles, and it grew his confidence that God was with him. Great courage is grown by winning small battles. That's how it happens. I trust God in this thing, and God comes through, and I go, oh. Well, then I can trust God in this thing, and God comes through. Oh, now I can trust God in something bigger, and now I can trust God in something bigger. Great courage is grown through small battles, small battles won. So if that's the case, and if you want to grow your faith, then you need to step into some small battles. You need to trust God. See, faith is like a muscle. you got to exercise it for it to grow. You've got, to, you've got to trust God in it. So here's the, here's the thing. If you're facing something and you're like, man, I'm just afraid of this situation. I'm not really sure what to do. I'm kind of paralyzed. And I don't know that I know how to move forward. Listen, you need to take it head on. For somebody here, that, that's a word from God for you. You need to address it head on. Take it and trust God. Ask God for wisdom. Move forward in faith. And let God build your faith one battle at a time. Great faith is grown in the small battles as you see God working and God moving. Well, that leads us to this last episode in the story Israel's dilemma, frozen in faith. I mean, frozen in unbelief. And then you have David's great courage, right? And so now we get to the battle. This is the part we've been looking forward to here. Uh, look at verse 41. And the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog? This is my Goliath voice. Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods come here the Philistine called to David and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the and the wild beast. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down. Remove your head and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that, uh, that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord says, For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Now, by the way, don't you like all that pre-fight uh, stuff? This is kind of like when the boxers get in front of each other and they kind of shout at each other. That's what's going on. I'm going to give your body to the, the beasts of the earth, right? The birds of the sky. I mean, there's, that's all the, the vibrato before the battle, right? But Goliath has a reason to go, what's going on here? Because once again, remember, David's a young guy. David's unproven. Think about it. David is really putting his own life on the line. This is a fight to the death. This isn't just a ball game. And he's he's stamping out to represent all of God's people. He is their representative. He is putting his life on the line. In many ways, he is like a sheep going out to the slaughter. That is what is happening. But David's courage and confidence is not in himself. Look at what David says, verse 45. You come against me with, me with a sword, a spear, and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies. Look at verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. His confidence was not in him. His confidence was in God, right? This reminds me of uh, John Knox. John Knox was a 16th century uh, godly man who really predated the Protestant Reformation. He gave his life, burned at the stake, for his conviction in the word of God and the gospel. But John Knox was famous for making this statement, a man with God is always in the majority. A man with God is always in the majority. And here was David. He was standing alone, but he was in the majority. David understood this one thing. That there's always a battle behind the battle. There's always a battle behind the battle. He said, you know, you're coming against me with sword and spear. You think the battle is what we're doing right here. But there's a greater battle. There's a, there's a spiritual battle going on. And there's a God in heaven. And he's going to intervene. You know, your, your offense is to God. Your, your, your defiance is to God. And God is going to deal with you. David understood that there's always a battle behind the battle. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You see, the battle you're facing isn't just about uh, what's going on in your marriage or what your kids are into or what's happening at your work or what your physical body is doing. Listen, it's not just about that. There's a battle behind the battle. There's a spiritual battle, and we fight that battle on our knees. We say, God, only you can change this. God, only you can redeem. God, only you can change a heart. God, only you can bring repentance. God, only you can reconcile this relationship. God, only you can do it. And David understood that, that there was a battle behind the battle. Then look at verse 48. The battle ensues. Then the Philistines started toward to attack him. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David uh, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk into the forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. You might want to underline that. Uh, In other words, he was dead before he hit the ground. He killed him without a sword. Now David would go on to take his head off as kind of a trophy to show what had happened. But Goliath was dead before he even hit the ground. Eaton Hirsch is a uh, ballistics expert for the Israeli Defense Force. And back in the 90s, he did some calculation as to the velocity of a stone being slung. You may not know this, but uh, uh, slinging a stone and even slinging uh, steel balls later on, lead balls later on, was a a strategic part of battle warfare. Uh, You had archers and you had slingers which were a part of a, a battle array. And so David chose that particular weapon to fight against Goliath. It was a weapon that he knew. Uh, Hirsch went on to say that uh, through their empirical data and their computer simulations, it appears that David could have chosen a stone around 70 grams in weight. If he was 25 to 30 meters away with the typical sling being about 0.6 meters in length, he calculated that that stone would have traveled 40 meters per second. 40 meters per second. The book of Judges says that, that Israel had slingers that could sling and hit a hare and not miss it. That was like David. He was skilled in sling. 40 meters per second, that stone was moving. In fact, he goes on, Hirsch goes on to say, we find that David could have slung and hit Goliath in a little more than one second, a time so brief that Goliath would not have been able to protect himself. So David slings a stone. It's embedded in Goliath's forehead, and he falls dead. Now, listen. How do we apply this story? Well, what's the meaning of this story? You know, as we look at the great story of David and Goliath, some would say the application is this: uh, it's an underdog story. It's uh, the little guy beating the big guy. That's that's the that's the Rocky Four. Uh, uh, application, right? It's when tech beats Texas, all right? It's a little guy beating the big guy and and, and we're all happy about, you know, the David and Goliath stories. That's it. That's all it's about. That's what some would say. Other people would say, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about David's cunning and cleverness, that David chose a more agile weapon, David wasn't going to fight him man-to-man. David chose an aerial attack. David was swift when uh, Goliath was weighted down by all this armor. David could move. He was agile. He thought out of the box. He was clever. He was innovative. And and that's what we take from this, that David was so clever and innovative, and you can overcome your battles by being clever and innovative and thinking out of the box. Is that the purpose of the story? Is that what the story's about? Somebody say no. All All right, no, that's not what it's about. Others would say, other preachers would say, uh, well, you are David, and Goliath is uh, anything that causes you to be afraid. So Goliath is your addiction. Goliath is your divorce. Goliath is your boss at work. Goliath is whatever, you know, eating disorder. Goliath is your anxiety. And you're David, and with God beside you and God helping you, you're going to defeat all the problems that you have. I've heard that preached many times and you probably have too. But is even that the purpose of the story? Listen, when you read scripture, I want you to understand this. Scripture, you can approach it in two different ways. It is either all about you or it's all about Jesus. It's either about what you can do or as we just sang, it is about what he has done. That's how you approach scripture, and all the examples of application I just gave you put you as David. It's what you can do, how you can achieve with God beside you and God at your at your side. You can conquer any battle. You or David. That's what they're saying. But let me just tell you what: you are not David. You're not David in this story. I'm not David in this story. This story isn't about how I can accomplish and defeat all my giants. That's not what the story is about. You say, well, if I'm not David, then <laughs> well, where am I in this story? Well, if we're anywhere in the story, we're over here with Saul, right? We're, we're with the Israelites, We're the ones that are paralyzed by fear. We're the ones that are not trusting God. We're the ones that cannot save ourselves. We are the ones that are hopeless and helpless and unable to save ourselves. And we desperately need a savior. We cannot overcome death. We cannot overcome uh, the the great enemy of our souls, Satan himself. We cannot overcome him. He is too great. He's too powerful. We need a savior. We need a representative. We need somebody to fight our battle for us and win our victory and impute that victory to our account. That's what we need. We need a champion, an unexpected champion. We need a Messiah. We need a Christ. Is there anyone like that in the Bible? Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah, there is. I love what Ephesians 5, 6 says. You see, uh, just the right time when when we were powerless. Everybody say the word powerless. One, two, three. Powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. The Amplified Version says we were helpless, powerless to provide our own salvation. That's us. But David figure is someone who comes to us in history. Let me ask you some question. Who else comes from the tribe of Judah? Besides David. who else was born in Bethlehem? Who else was the anointed one? Who else was rejected by his brothers? Who else was an expected, unexpected savior? Who else came in weakness? Who else uh, offered his life for the sake of his people? Who else was our chosen representative? Who else fought our battle and won our victory and imputes his triumph to our account? Who else defeated sin and death and the grave? Can anybody tell me who is it? Okay, that's pretty weak. We're going to try it one more time. Let's lift up our voices. One, two, three. Jesus is David in the story, not you and not me. We need a Savior. This whole story is about Jesus the Christ who wins our victory as our representative and imputes righteousness to us that we could not have on our own. Just as David saved the Israelites from slavery to Goliath and and the Philistines, Jesus Christ, our champion saves us from the slavery of sin and death and the grave. In Jesus we have hope. In Jesus we have salvation. In Jesus we have life. It's all about Jesus. He's our unexpected champion. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a minute. The question that is raised here is do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Just with your heads bowed. Maybe you're here today and you've never seen Jesus in this story and you do not know Jesus.
1: You've never given your
0: life to Christ. If you're to die today, you're not sure where you would spend eternity, either heaven or hell. Maybe you've tried to be good and you tried to go to church. You're trying to do the right thing. But my friend, your efforts are not enough. Remember, you're hopeless. You're helpless to save yourself. There's no way you can be good enough to earn eternal life. And death comes screaming, calling for you, calling your name. But my friends, there is a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And Jesus came when we were in our sin, running from God, living our own life, rebelling against Him. Jesus came to us in weakness, born in Bethlehem, born of the tribe of Judah. And He went to a cross, and on the cross, He offered Himself in your place. He died as your representative. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus died in your place. He took on your sin. He was buried. On the third day, He rose again, defeating death in the grave. He ascended into the right hand of the Father. He is coming again. And right now, you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be right with God only through the name of Jesus. Have you given your life to Christ? Do you know Jesus? I want to give you a chance to do that right now in just these few moments. If God's moving in your heart, if you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but I want to be. I don't know for sure that I know Christ, but I want to know him. I want to be right with God. I want this Jesus and his righteousness applied to my account. I want to know for sure that when I, go to, uh, when I die that I'm going to go to heaven. If you want to know these things, then this is your moment to receive Christ by faith. You say, how do I do that? And just about, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and that will indicate that you want to receive Christ. And then I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to be right with God. So if you're here today and the spirit of God is moving in your heart, you need to be saved. You need to be right with God. Then right now, just lift up your hand. You know the spirit of God's moving in your heart. Just lift it up. Lift it up right now. Don't be, don't be bashful. Don't wait. No one can see what you're doing. Every head's bowed. Just lift up your hand. Pastor, I need Christ. I want to be right with God. Lift it up where I can see it. Lift it up. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. Lift it up. Pastor, I want to be right with God. I want to know for sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. Put your hand down. Just pray the simple prayer with me. The Lord knows your heart. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Wipe me clean. Make me right with you. Today, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, I pray for all those in the room today. All those watching online today, God, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, this week as we face all kinds of battles, all kinds of reasons to be afraid, all kinds of reasons to to lack courage, to be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. Lord, help us keep our eyes on you, Jesus, our champion, our savior, our defender. You are our hope and we will live for you this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name.